Well, good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 is where we will be uh, this morning. Just a few announcements uh, while you're flipping there. Uh, I told Luke this morning that I'm ready to get back in Acts because it's exhausting just going, hey, what am I going to preach next week? Versus, I know when I'm preaching every week because I'm in just the same book. So anyway, I'm ready next week to, uh, to get back into Acts as a, as a recap of where we've been over the past couple of years to uh, and then Luke uh, starting us in Acts 15 in, in, in a couple weeks. Uh, but a couple announcements. First of all, if you're a guest, thank you so much for joining uh, with us this morning. We do hope that you enjoy your time with us. We do ask, you know, if you feel uh, comfortable uh, to take uh, on the bottom of our bulletin, there's a perforated edge there that you can tear uh, and fill that out. But also we added something new. There's a QR code down there. Uh, you can scan that QR code if you don't want to if you're like me, too lazy to write and you just rather type it, uh, you can uh, scan the QR code and it'll take you to a digital form of this and then email us, uh, email me directly that you feel that. Just general information about yourself, how we can get to know you, how we can minister to you, uh, that kind of a deal. Uh, I remind members uh, at our last family meeting, we put forward the, uh, the four ministry teams uh, that we have at Crosspoint and getting those started. And so we've had uh, fair, fair signups. Uh, and so, uh, we do need you to, if you feel led and if you, if you have any questions about them, uh, please feel for, uh, go and fill that out. There's a little sign up sheet in the foyer. Uh, and if you're just interested on the more, you can write your name on there and say, Hey, I, I want to know more about them. Uh, and so anyway, if you'll sign that up, uh, sign up for that, uh, small groups and, and kids Bible studies, uh, start this week, so kids on Wednesday nights uh, get kicked off this week, and also this is a week for small groups to jump back in, into meetings. So if you're interested in small groups, if you're not a, if you're not a part of a small group, you're interested in that. There are some lists in the foyer uh, of different small groups and where they meet in the community. You can also go to our website uh, and on the Connect tab there. There's a list of all of them and a Google Maps of a general location where those small groups are. Uh, and so there's also contacts there for you to call those small groups and, and that kind of deal. And obviously, us as pastors will answer any questions possible. And next Saturday, September the 2nd, having a prayer meeting. Uh, you in here, Felita? Yeah, we'll be in here at 8 a.m. Uh, for more information, you can talk to Miss Felita. She's sitting right down here on the front row. Uh, and then uh, you have a couple more weeks to turn in our pledge cards. And so uh, if you haven't i uh, been praying through that. If you're a member, uh, just pray through what uh, the Lord would have you to, to give towards this. Uh, and remember, the first Sunday of September, we will take those up, and we'll tally them up. And then the second Sunday, we will know where we are and where we're headed and what we can do. Uh, and so anyway, please, uh, uh, please pray through that. All right, I think that's all the announcements I have. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, I have two goals this morning. Uh, one is I want to throw up the slide that we threw up last week of our, our core values as a church. Uh, and so if you're, if you're a guest with us, uh, there's good weeks for you to be here where we're kind of walking through kind of who we are at Crosspoint, our core values. Uh, and so we say that we, we exist uh, for God's glory, uh, both individually and corporately. Uh, we, our, our reason for being here is to bring God glory uh, and with the way that we do that is we commit ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. 
And so last week we talked really uh, narrowing in on what does it mean to commit to God's people? Why, do, why should I do that? Uh, and this week I want to continue in that uh, leading up to us starting small groups. Uh, and the second thing I want to do is I kind of want to, uh, to land the plane and the thought that we've been in really since uh, Luke began in Psalm 51, how many ever weeks ago that was. I feel like we've talked a lot through what sin is, how we respond to sin, how God keeps us from sinning, how uh, we just talked a lot about it over the past five, six weeks. And so I kind of want to land the plane uh, by bringing up another verse in Jude, 20, Jude 24. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, I think it is. Can you, did I put it in there? Maybe I didn't. Anyway, Jude 24, I'll flip to it. Uh, it's right before Revelation, right? Uh, <clears throat> I tell you, I didn't do Bible drills, so don't judge me. Uh, Jude 24. Uh, says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So there's a verse that we have in Jude that God will keep us from stumbling and he will present us blameless. And a couple weeks ago in Psalm 19, we talked about how God does that through his word and through his spirit. But this morning by us, by using the core value of we commit to God's people, I want us to see how God uses God's people to fulfill Jude 24 as well. Uh, to where he, it is he who keeps us from stumbling. I believe that the way that God does that is through his word, his spirit, and through his people. Matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 16, we read, uh, Paul says this, If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is not a, a maybe. That is, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we see how God, with the Spirit, he keeps us from stumbling. But this morning, I want to show how God's people, how God uses his people to help us on our walk uh, in regards to sin in regards to our struggles and our burdens and why it is beneficial and we sell ourselves short of God's blessing when we do not commit ourselves to God's people. And I would implore, I'm imploring you that uh, if, you, if, you've, if you've yet to commit to God's people fully, that we will see the great benefit in Galatians chapter 6, even in my own walk in holiness. And so anyway, Galatians chapter 6, I'm just going to read five verses. Uh, and here's what's really cool. Y'all ready for this? I've got one paper, one page of notes. I don't get too excited, uh, but sometimes pages take me 10 minutes, and sometimes they take me 52 minutes, and so we'll just see what happens. Uh, but anyway, Galatians chapter 6, let's uh, turn to God's Word. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be uh, in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you uh, that your word is alive, that it, uh, that it is active, that it speaks, God, that whenever... Your word is open and proclaimed, God. It is you speaking to us. So, God, I pray that you get me out of the way, God, but you use uh, our time today to speak to us, to encourage our hearts. God, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, in Galatians, 
Uh, Paul is wrapping up this letter that he uh, originally writes uh, to, uh, there were some Judaizers, if you will, that we'll learn a lot about when we get to Acts 15 in a couple weeks, that they were mixing uh, things. They were mixing law and gospel and adding things to, to in order to be saved. And so Paul writes this letter and he corrects them and he, he talks and begins and say, no, it's, it's gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't add anything to it. And and then now he's when he's wrapping up this letter, he just he just finished by like the fruit of the spirit and and walking by the spirit. And now as he's finishing up, he's what he's he's landing the plane, if you will, and he's talking to these. Uh, this church, uh, how to deal with one another. And here's what's really interesting. The verse says, if anyone is called in any transgression. So you would think at the mind's eye, when Paul is writing this, he's going to write to the transgressor of what to do with their sin. But what's interesting in these five verses, he doesn't tell the transgressor to do anything. He's talking to those who are spiritual of how they deal with the person who's caught in sin. You right with me? He, the, how they treat and how they walk through dealing with somebody who's been exposed in sin. And it's very interesting that he, he doesn't even, obviously we know that, we've, we've looked at over the past weeks, how we respond in visual to sin, but there's also a response that the church should have to someone who has fallen. And it's not one that we kick them out of the church. It's not one that we automatically beat them down, but there's a way in which we work together for each other's holiness, that we work together for each other's relationship with the Lord, that it is a, it is a joint effort. It's a group effort and not just uh, my good days, but when I drop the ball, that God has blessed me with a people who would love me enough to come alongside of me and help see me restored. That's what the church is that we see in Galatians chapter 6. And here's the thing, is that we, 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 we skirt a line often in a sense that, you know, I come as I am, and God accepts me, which is true. Uh, but what we do whenever we have... <laughs> As believers, we have an easier time talking about our sin, if you will, before we come to know Jesus. But after we come to know Jesus, we act like we don't sin anymore. We act like we got it together. And we, by no means can I bring it to the Lord's house. By no means can I let somebody else know I've been struggling. By no means can I come and bring that here because I've got to have it all together. And so I'm hoping this text will help us out. The first thing that I see is that there's a general call for us to bear one another's burdens. I titled the sermon, Lean on Me. I'm not going to sing it, but uh, think about the lyrics of the songs. Uh, there's going to be times when you need me. There's going to be times that I need you. Uh, when you're weak, then I'll be your friend and I'll walk with you through it. And there's that picture that we see as a church that there are times that we need each other. And what Paul does in, in verse 2 is that there's a general call for us to carry one another's Burdens. You see it again. Look at verse two. It says, "Bear one another's burdens, and so and so fulfill the law of Christ." Here's a big point for you. Ready? We all have burdens. It says, "Bear one another's burdens." He didn't say if you have burdens. It says, "Bear one another's burdens." We all have burdens. There, none of us are exempt or immune to the burdens of life. Right? None of us are. And this burden that, that I'm speaking of here is not just the transgression, which we'll get to in a minute. It's the specific burden to carry, but burdens in general we all face. And Paul says, listen to me, bear one another's. Don't walk through life 
by yourself carrying your own burden, if you will, but to carry one another's burdens. This word, but to bear one another's burdens is to carry with endurance. And notice it's an ongoing thing. He doesn't say just carry them one time or bear them one time, but always be bearing one another's burdens. That in life as the church and whenever life punches us in the face, it is our job as believers to Carry with endurance, ongoing, carrying one another's burdens. It's one of the most beautiful things about the church is the ability to not, or the the blessing not to have to deal with life's heaviness by myself. But one thing that I've learned is that pride oftentimes keeps us from carrying burdens often, but also letting our burdens be carried. That as believers, that we, we often rob ourselves of, of a blessing because we're too prideful to allow somebody to see our struggle. Or we're too prideful to carry somebody else's burdens because that's below me. And so what we see here is that life is full of burdens. And Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And when you do so, you fulfill the law of Christ. I think specifically the law of Christ, whenever Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what was the greatest commandments? I'm trying to trip him up, and he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you and I are bearing one another, we are fulfilling the very law of Christ to love one another. Man, I, I think one of the greatest pictures of this is a story in the Old Testament that I actually made reference to a few weeks ago, but... It's a time when Israel was defying Amalek. And this is what the text, you may be familiar with this text, you may not, but I want to read it as if you're not. It says in verse chapter, Exodus 17, beginning of verse 8, it says, And Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill, uh, it says, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it, and while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And then Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. What a beautiful imagery of the church of bearing one another's burdens. What a beautiful picture that Moses, uh, the man of God who's leading the children of God, that he was, he, he did a great job. Obviously, he had his failures. He was a strong man. He was a dedicated man. But ultimately, what he had to do physically, he grew tired of. He literally couldn't keep his hands anymore. But thanks be to God that he had a guy named Aaron, a guy named Her. It's a good, it's a guy, a guy named Her that was standing beside him and said, Moses, I know you're called to leave, but what we're going to do is we're going to hold your hands up for you. And we're going to put a stone under so you can sit down. Listen, what greater picture than bearing one another's burdens? As Paul is saying, listen to me. And now bear one another's burdens. When life is weighed down, go to the church because it is the church that will help hold your arms up. Whenever life is happening and you're trying your best with your own strength to keep your hands up and your knees are rattling, go to the church because they will bear your burdens. They will hold your arms up. They will place a stone under you to sit down. Church, bear one another's burdens. Man, what a beautiful picture of the church. Amen? 
And I'm sure if I opened up the mic, I would say, who could give testimonies of your brothers and sisters helping shoulder the load of life? And it would be one after another would come up here and give testimony of that. I want to encourage you. We want to reasonably commit to God's people because life's tough. <laughs> and it's full of burdens. But thanks be to God, we don't have to do it on our own. They have God's people who will rally around us and will bear it, an ongoing bearing, a holding up. Secondly, there's the general call to bear one another's burdens, but in verse 1, we see the specific burden that he was calling them to bear, and it was the transgression of a brother. So the specific call to burden, to, uh, to carry the burden, or specific burden to carry, we see in verse 1, it says, brothers, I wanted you to notice the first two words here, if anyone. Pause. <laughs> if is the first word, anyone is the other, as in sin is not the rule of life, so there's if someone, right? But it says if, if, if who? If anyone. What does that mean? All of us are susceptible to sin. Like, this isn't just the one that doesn't know everything. It says if anybody, as in it opens the doors, that there's not a person sitting in this room right now that is not susceptible to sin. Even the guys standing on stage right now, not a single one of us have been immune or completely defeated the temptation in which we are tempted by every day. And every single one of us in isolation or even when we're with people, we are susceptible to fall into the entanglements of the wicked one. So let's start there. The first way we deal when our brothers and sisters have fallen is we understand that anyone could be there. You with me? Anyone could find themselves here. So he says, if anyone is caught, and so here we have evidently this transgression. We don't see, don't see what it is. It has been brought to the surface. And so another thing I want to say is that he's not telling these, the church in Galatia to, uh, Galatia to go sniff around to try to find somebody in sin. It says, if this sin has come about. And so the one, that's another thing we have to keep in mind. Anybody could fall into this. Secondly, it's not our duty to just go around as the sin police and say, you got sin in your life, you got sin in your life, you got sin in your life. That's not the context of what Paul is writing here. It says if anybody, is, if sin has come out, whether through being exposed or confession or whatever, what he's saying is if a brother or sister has, has, has been rebelled against God and has been made known. Everybody with me on that? Okay. Making sure I'm saying this clearly that we're not sin police. Because if that's the case, and we would have no rest, and it would be, I'm thankful that I'm not a sin police. I'm thankful that I don't have to be either. Anyway, it says, if anyone is caught in transgression. Luke talked about this in Psalm 51. The transgression is a rebellion against God. As in, I know what God has said. I know what this is. I have chosen to rebel against that. Here's God's standards. Here's his statutes. Here's his doctrine. Here's his truth is revealed. I'm saying I am rebelling against that. If anybody has found themselves in this place, so this is twofold for us. If we found ourselves in that place, we just go, all right, what do I need to do? But the other side of it is, how do I respond when somebody else says this is somebody else's life? And listen to me, this is important for you. I'm going to get ahead of myself here. I'm going to go ahead and say it. 
You and I should desire a church that seeks to see us holy more than one that seeks to see us happy. That I'm not sin police by any means, but I should have people in my life who are as committed to my holiness as much as they are their own. Everybody with me? And that's what we're seeing here is that there's the church that he's writing to is Paul saying, hey, if anybody's caught in sin, the response isn't to belittle them. The response isn't to act like it's not there, which is what we tend to do. Right? I had a guy tell me one time who was, um, I just had somebody tell me one time when it says when, you're, when it comes to dealing with things, it's like poop in the yard. Rather, you can just leave it out there. Hopefully, nobody steps in it. Eventually, this thing's going to go away and nobody's going to have to deal with it. Or you just go out there and scoop it up and be done with it immediately. And that's the approach here with sins. Most, most of the time, what we do is we just kind of leave it out in the yard. Hopefully, nobody steps in it. It doesn't get any worse. But here, as believers, proactively in our life and the lives of our brothers and sisters, that there is a way in which we go to it. There's a way in which we go to deal with it, a way in which we drag it in the light, if you will. We use it often. It's our sin, sin's like a vampire. If you keep it in the dark, it's, it's, that's where it thrives. But as soon as you drag that sun gun into the light, it starts burning up, right? It's a picture of, we use this analogy often. I don't know originally this analogy is. It's, we often <laughs> treat sin like it's a dragon, like how to train a dragon, right? We don't need to train a dragon. We need to slay the dragon. Uh, it's like the people who you've seen them on movies or he's always on like NBC or something, Dateline, that person who trained tigers their whole life and then all of a sudden the tiger bit their face off. What happened? He's a tiger. That's what he does. Right? You play with it, it's going to bite you eventually. And that's the same thing with sin in our own life. It's whether you ignore it or you deal with it. And Paul, thankfully, is te teaching us how we not only just deal with sin in our life, but also how we as a church navigate sin in our own body. Everybody with me? So he says, if anyone is called in transgression, you who are spiritual, let's pause there for a moment, who are these people? All right? Because that sounds like very churchy. You spiritual ones, you go deal with it. That's what it sounds like, right? So who's, who's the spiritual? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you, could, if you read the previous chapters, matter of fact, chapter 5, what did he talk about? Those who are what? walking by the Spirit. Those who are living by the fruit of the Spirit. So ultimately, who's the, who are the spiritual ones? Those who are walking in, in line with the Spirit. That's what he says, actually, I think in, in 525. If you have a Bible, look at it. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So who's the spiritual ones here? Those who are walking in tune with the Spirit of God. Those who have surrendered their life and have, have under the Lordship of Jesus and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, those who are walking with the Lord. Guess who that can be? That can be anyone as well. The spiritual ones are not those who have degrees and not degrees. The spiritual ones are those who love the Lord and submit to His Spirit. Follow me? So here's the good news about the gospel. <laughs> it's awesome. If anyone can be the transgressor, but also if anyone can be the spiritual ones who go. Right? You with me? So if any, it says, if, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. 
Man, what a word there. You should restore. It's a picture of ultimately of, of mending broken nets. If you would think, think about a fisherman that throws his nets out and the nets are broken so it cannot do what it was designed to do that the fish get out. That's the imagery here. It says you who are spiritual, you who are being led by the Spirit, which is what? The fruit of the Spirit. We've seen that already. So somebody's being led by the Spirit. They're going to respond a certain way to people, right? It says you who are spiritual should go to this person and help restore them. And ultimately, we know that we cannot, I cannot restore somebody's life. Oh, but I can take them to the one who can. And that's the picture here is that though you are spiritual, those who are walking with the spirit, when someone has fallen, when someone has dropped the ball, listen to me, it it is not your job to, to ignore it or hope it goes away. If you're following and the Holy Spirit is leading you, you need to go to that person with the intent to see them repent and back in restoration in their fellowship with the Lord. That's the intent. Not to blow up their lives, not to make a mockery out of them, but our job in committing to God's people, even in sin in their own life, is to see them back in right relationship with their Savior. Wait, I thought we'd just leave them alone. That's not our problem. Now, when our brother or sister fails, it's our problem too. That's what it means to commit to each other. That's what it means whenever we sign a covenant and membership. Yes, we sign to, to love each other. And you may not have read the fine print, but you, we sign to love one another. But we also say, listen to me, as a, as a member of Crosspoint, you need to know that as, a, as your pastor and as your pastors, if we know that you're making a shipwreck of your life and your family, know that we're coming. And we're, our job is not to throw you under the bus, it's to hope to see you restored. It's to see you in in a right relationship with your father, with your wife, with your kids. Like, that is our goal here, and that's what we're seeing here. And it says, listen to me, that that it's it's not just your problem, it's our problem. And I said I got ahead of myself, but listen to me. Let's desire a church that seeks our holiness more than it does our happiness, right? There's a lot of churches that are built on your happiness and your comfort. And I would say that's not the churches that Christ died to redeem and build. What did we look at last week? You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. Yeah, you may be, you may be bruised and broken, but by the, lamb, by the blood of the lamb, you have been made holy without spot or blemish. And he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so sin, in essence, is something we deal with privately, but it's also something we deal with corporately, not from a stage, if you will, but in our and our, with our people, whenever I fail, I need my brothers and sisters to help me drag it into light. We looked at Psalm 19 a few weeks ago, and David asked, who can discern his ways? Ultimately, who can see his own faults? Nobody. We're good at seeing everybody else's, but who can see our own? Well, I'm thankful that God has given us the word that illuminates that, Right? As a child of God, there's been times in your life, I know you've read through the word and God spoke to you and convicted you of things. I'm thankful for the spirit of God, right? That convicts of our sin. But one thing that you and I need to learn to love mostly, not mostly, but more than we do is that the God's given us his people. That whenever I, even if I'm aware of my sin and I'm convicted of my sin, oftentimes I don't want to I want to keep it over here, but I need people in my life like Luke or Josh who will come and grab me by the arm and drag that sin in the light so that it can be burned up. 
That's why we commit to God's people, right? Is that we carry each other's burdens, not just, not, not just when the rain falls, but when I make the mess. That's the specific burden that he's, he's calling them to carry. As in, there's somebody, you ready? If you go to progression, there's somebody who's been caught in sin, so he's confessed or whatever. The spiritual have gone and restored him, and now, Paul says, and carried, as in, that person, he may have repented, but it's still, that, that sin and that, that's going to leave, it's still going to be a burden to him. It's something he's going to be nagged with, something that isn't just going to go away immediately. So you who are spiritual, y'all bear, y'all bear, bear one of the help, help him through that process or help her through that process of not just repenting, but walking in repentance. It's a continual thing. So we see the general call to bear one another's burdens. We see a specific burden to carry. Thirdly, we see that there's a warning to the burden carrier. So everything's good so far. It's like we all got burdens and we can all do life together. And whenever I've made a mess of my life or you made a mess of your life, we can help one another in walking in the process or towards restoration. But here's the thing. Not once, as I said earlier, does Paul address the transgressor. He addresses the spiritual ones who are restoring the transgressors. And here is a warning that he gives. Ready? Because no matter how spiritual we are, you know what you and I struggle with? Probably more than anything is our own pride. Our self. Man, we love self. I think that's why Jesus is going back to the, to, to the, to the, the law of Christ, love your neighbor as yourself, because he knows how much we love ourselves. And if we could learn to love others the way that we love ourselves, man, <laughs> how awesome would that be? But we deal with self. And so Paul knew through the, the, the influence of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that us who are, those who are spiritual, when they go to restore, that inside of them there's going to be this pride, there's going to be this flesh, if you will, that they have to deal with that's going to try to raise up within them to make themselves see higher than the person who's transgressed. Then, then naturally our flesh will 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 judge ourselves by our greatest ideal of ourselves and judge others by their worst moment. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> yeah. That's what we do is we, we see ourselves as we think we should be and we see others by their greatest failure. And what happens is deep within us, even if we start in a spiritual realm of helping people, our flesh would like to see ourselves doing something. Or being something. So look what he writes. First of all, at the end of verse 1, he says, uh, to keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Again, if anyone, so we know under anyone, so Paul is saying, listen to me. When you go to restore, you who are spiritual, when you go to restore the man, the brother, sister that's in sin, first of all, watch yourself. As in, you go into the situation, you go into the moment, you got to watch on yourself because you too could be tempted to the same thing. It's a very humble approach to dealing with it, right? It's, it's not prideful. And, and Paul said, listen to me, watch yourself. Keep watching yourself. Whenever you think you got to go, you better watch yourself. As in, know yourself. Watch yourself. Don't become too prideful. 
Watch yourself. The second thing he says, don't deceive yourself. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Listen to me, that, that is, it's, it's crazy that he just got through talking about, hey, you are spiritual, be good, and help somebody. But don't you deceive yourself thinking you're something. Anybody ever had like that, <laughs> it's like the encouragement, then kick your feet out from under you, right? That's exactly what it's like. Hey, you're spiritual, go, go restore them. Don't for a moment think you're anything. Why is he right like that? Because he, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, listen, this is how these people are going to be. Because of their pride and because of their flesh, they're going to begin to think something to themselves because they were more spiritual than a brother who had fallen or a sister who had fallen. And so Paul says to me, you better stop. You better not do that. You better, you better not deceive yourself. Because there's a tendency when it comes to our church life. Uh, actually, I'm not going to go there. We oftentimes, the more spiritual we get, Unfortunately, the more amnesia we experience. And we forget that, hey, I may not struggle with this sin right now, but back then they used to beat me down. And what happens is we move forward and we forget about our struggle, and anybody who's struggling with that is a weaker brother, if you will. So Paul, Paul says you better watch yourself and don't deceive yourself like you've got something figured out. Thirdly, he says, to test yourself. Look at verse 4. So, but let each one of you test his own work. Then his reason will boast himself. Time out for a moment. Is he contradicting himself? Verse 3, he said, don't think you anything. Verse 4, he says, you can boast in yourself. <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing here? What's he saying? And so let's try to pack that. He says, but let each one of you test his own work. Then his reason to be boast will be in himself alone, not in his own. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is, when you're checking yourself, when you're watching yourself, when you're looking over yourself, the things that you do, you do it in your own relationship with the Lord. You don't judge who you are based on somebody else's mistakes. You don't say, I'm greater than, I'm greater than this person. I love Jesus more because he did that and I don't do that. So the, the, the goal is for him not to boast at all, but what he's saying is don't judge your relationship with the Lord on the failures of somebody else's relationship with the Lord. Don't judge you and how your health, if you will, based on somebody else's relationship. That it's, it's you, it's to test yourself. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Is he contradicting himself again? He just told us all to bear one another. Now he's saying we all got to bear our own. What's the deal here? What he's saying is that ultimately we're all going to face judgment. We're all going to have to bear, if you will, judgment. Thankfully, that the Son of God has already borne on his shoulders the very judgment that you and I so deserve. Because here's the thing. Apart from that, there is no restoration from transgression. Apart from that, there is no hope that I can find forgiveness even if I called out for it. Without the empty grave, there is, no, there is no purpose for you and I to be involved in each other's life in a way that we want to see victory over sin in each other's lives. But because of the cross of Christ and the empty grave and him seated at the right hand of the Father, now not only can we actually find transgression, but listen to me, even though 
<laughs> this is good. Even though we may have believed past tense, and at that moment we were accounted, his righteousness was accounted to us, and we were completely made justified positionally, justified positionally in heaven, that even now as a believer, the sin that I commit now, which is beautiful, you ready? Even the sin that I commit now, yes, it was forgiven eternally here, but even in this present day moment, I can call out and he will forgive me now. What that means for me and you is that when we sin, we don't get kicked out of the family. You with me? That whenever we drop the ball, God doesn't say, I didn't see that coming. You really made a mockery of me. No, John tells us that if we, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He actually says if we say that we have no sin, that we are, we're a liar and we make him a liar. And so my first thing this morning would be maybe as wrapping the whole six weeks or five weeks, however long it's been, maybe our response this morning is maybe we, the Holy Spirit through his word and being gathered as people, there's sin in our own life in which we need to confess. Or maybe there's some sin that I've been struggling with that you need to go to a brother this morning and say, or a sister this morning and say, hey, can you help me drag this thing to light? Or maybe even in your small groups, you're aware of something that's going on with a family or something, but in so long in your spiritualness, y'all have ignored it, but what you need to do as a loving brother and sister is you need to go to your other brother or other sister and say, hey, we love you and we want to see things saved. That's tough work, but necessary. We commit to God's people. We think it brings him the most glory. And that commitment is not just rainbows and butterflies. It's also not just hardships. It's even whenever I make a shipwreck, I'm going to commit, or people are going to commit themselves to me to help see me restore. Are you with me? So I don't know how the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond, but I believe that he is in some way, in some capacity. If not, maybe it's just something for us to be able to tuck away that whenever things approach, God has shown us this is how we, this is how we handle this. Obviously, I didn't give you the answer to what to do, because I don't think I can give you the answer of what to do, but the Scripture tells us how to do it, as in, in what mindset and what, what disposition, if you will, when we go. So anyway, I'm going to pray. Uh, and uh, Luke and I will be standing in the back. Uh, and then Daniel and the team is going to come lead us in a song, a response. And I just pray that you move as the Lord leads. And um, please do not, um, if you hear the voice of the Lord today, don't ignore. Be obedient to that which he calls you to do. Because that's what it is. He's not talking to you just to talk to you. There's an intent in which he's talking to you. There's a reason in which he's calling you to do something as your obedience. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, um, we thank you for your people that <clears throat> you have so blessed us with to be able to commit ourselves to and that they've committed themselves to us, God, that, that there are people sitting in this room that will be there 
for each other on wedding days, at funerals, in hospitals, but also whenever I make a mess or we make a mess of our life. That our commitment to one another is not just found on the highs and lows of life, but even in my own mistakes and our own failures. So God, teach us how to love one another enough to confront one another, to do the work of Galatians 6 here, of restoration that oftentimes starts with confrontation. Yeah, we want to be a people who, yet not perfect, but striving to be a a holy people, a people who love you and your presence, who want to be used of you. Just got to do the work that needs to be done so that you will do even more work in us and through us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand.